This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, August 16th. I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, county prepares for limited vaccine booster rollout. Telluride community talks short-term rentals. An update on Telluride housing projects and a mountain weather forecast. Certain immunocompromised people are now eligible for a booster dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. Certain immunocompromised individuals, they just don't produce the same level of immunity um, from the vaccine um, response um, as um, people, uh, other individuals. That's San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin. The boosters also come as the more contagious Delta variant continues to spread. I think the stakes are getting higher. Um, And so when we think about what's an added layer of protection, especially with a more transmissible virus um, for this subsection of our population, um, it really does just enhance that antibody response um, in a stronger way. Last week, the Food and Drug Administration authorized the change, but only for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine, Franklin notes, is a different type, and there isn't enough research to make a decision on J&J boosters yet. When it comes to the authorized boosters, Franklin says the priority is for the highest-risk individuals. It's really people who've had um, organ transplants um, or are currently being treated for tumors or cancers, people um, with severe advanced um, HIV infection, taking steroids, or have chronic medical conditions that weaken their immune response. That's really the biggest group of folks that um, would benefit from this additional boost. The county, however, will not check documentation to confirm medical status. The boosters will be administered, Franklin explains, via an honor system. The boosters must be administered at least 28 days after the first two doses of either the Moderna or Pfizer vaccines. For those not eligible for the boosters, Franklin says the available vaccines still work well, especially when it comes to protecting against severe illness and hospitalization. Still, she says, everyone else should also stay tuned. It's likely there's going to be some kind of um, booster or something in the future. The question would be, is it going to be adapted to different variants? Will it just be the -the run-of-the-mill one? But it's coming down the pipeline most likely, but that's the speculating. And it's all part of the nature of our response. It's very adaptive, and we move as things change to respond appropriately. In the meantime, she adds, with the Delta variant, there should be a heightened level of alert and concern. It's really, we should be wearing masks indoors in public places. I think we should start reconsidering what are those risks are going to a large crowded indoor event, the smartest idea for you. And that's really, you have to determine what's your health risk, who do you live with, and your tolerance um, for if you got sick or exposed. Over the last few weeks, Franklin notes, things have shifted significantly. The county, she explains, has been shielded from Delta, but it is very much here now. It's serious. We should be taking it seriously. And I I think it's still taking time for it to sink sink into people um, because it's hard to go backwards. But we're taking two steps forward, one step back, but we're going to be moving forward. San Miguel County will offer Pfizer and Moderna vaccine booster clinics for immunocompromised people on Friday, August 20th in Telluride and Thursday, September 2nd in Norwood. 
More information is available at sanmiguelcountyco.gov under the COVID tab. It's the early evening on Friday, August 13th, and a crowd of about 60 people is gathered on the grass next to the San Miguel County Courthouse on Main Street in Telluride. They've come together to talk housing, specifically a ballot question to limit short-term rental licenses in the town that is likely to end up on the November ballot. Here are the technical details. The question, brought about by a citizen initiative, would limit the number of annual short-term rental licenses to 400, with exceptions for primary residences and hotels or condos that prohibit owner-occupancy. Currently, there are about 740 licenses in town and no cap, though with the exceptions, the sponsors estimate the 400 cap would likely apply to about 540 licenses. Licenses would be issued through a yearly lottery. So that's the proposal the group has come to discuss. Anna Wilson, a local realtor, organized the gathering and kicks off the conversation. I want us to talk neighborly, face to face, away from our screens, away from our devices, away from our anonymous Instagram accounts, and discuss the issues at hand and hopefully have a productive conversation about what solutions are available to us. Based on a quick hand raise poll, the group is pretty evenly split on people for and against the measure and the majority of attendees say they are town electors who can vote in the November election. The rules for discussion, Wilson says, are simple. Be respectful, be kind. This is the talking ski hall. <laughs> Whoever has the ski hall can talk. Whoever doesn't, please just be respectful and listen. Erica Gioga is the first to speak. She's a local property manager against the ballot question and says she doesn't see any of the owners she represents switching their properties to long-term rentals if they can't short-term rent. By them, short-term renting. They are contributing to our economy. They're contributing to the housing in Telluride. If they can't short-term rent, uh, many of them have told me that they will just leave it dark because they've owned it for 20 years and so they can. A common theme among many of those opposed is that they don't think the ballot question would lead to more housing for locals. Here's Sarah Spencer, who also works in short-term rentals. It's not going to create long-term housing. The reason it is in effect is to limit tourists. And I want you all to admit that that is the problem. People want to shut the door behind them. I am here now, and I don't want these people to enjoy the place that I'm at. And I'm sorry, but that's how we feel. We feel attacked. We feel like you're telling us that our business is wrong. And what happens with my business, February of 2022, if we have a lottery, I, after 28 years in the town of Telluride, am out of a job out of a job because we may get 10 properties out of our 60. But others feel the proposal is a step to help balance what they see as an imbalance in the region with too much tourism and not enough support for those who make the region run. Dan Enright is one such person. Part of the benefit of this proposal is that it will help end the speculative rush on our housing market for people who only see this as a way to earn an easy dollar. Travis Julia works in property management and came to the area in the 90s. He says while his clients would be impacted by the proposal, and the proposal isn't the only thing that would need to happen to solve the region's housing crisis, something needs to change. When I came into town, I dragged my girlfriend who just got out of grad school. She started a children's theater program here and affected the lives of literally thousands of children and kids in this community. And I'd like to think that, you know, the two of us 
contributed to this community, that, that helped build a little bit more into this community. And what I see right now is that we've got nothing coming up. We've got no seeds because it's too hard to plant seeds right now. Many of the people opposed to the proposal agree there's a problem and something needs to happen, but they don't think this specific proposal is the way to address it. Another concern for many is the yearly lottery system to allocate short-term rental licenses. Here's Stacy Tixar. I support capping the licenses where they are, and then the lottery thing is something that blows my mind. <laughs> Some offer suggestions to modify the lottery, including only reissuing licenses when someone with a license leaves rather than every year, and using a point system to prioritize different properties for licenses over others. One area most people present agree on is at least pushing for a moratorium to halt new licenses for a bit. Here's Ted Wilson. We need the pause button to figure out all these insanely complex issues that we're dealing with. Buy us some time. At the end of the gathering, pretty much everyone says the conversation hasn't changed their minds from where they were when it started. Except Dave Ziegler, who's been in the area for about a decade and works at Telluride Sports. Not saying that I changed my mind, but I came here very much in support of the short-term rental initiative. And as some of the, uh, the opposing side brought up the moratorium, I was just more open to that idea because I didn't know about it. No one had brought it up before until I came here. Ziegler hasn't made a decision yet, but he says it's another idea he's now considering. Town Council is slated to consider the short-term rental ballot question at their meeting on Tuesday, August 24th at 5 p.m. According to Town Clerk Tiffany Cavanaugh, they can either choose to adopt it or send it to the voters for them to decide at the November 2nd regular election. They cannot make any substantial changes or refuse to send it to the ballot if they don't adopt it. In the meantime, it's hard to say what the impact of the Friday night gathering will be. But one thing most people present seem to agree on is that it was better than talking about these issues on social media. Telluride's latest affordable housing project is well underway. We're out of the foundation geohazard mitigation phase and into the framing phase. And so you'll see a lot of framing going on with the buildings. They'll start taking shape over the next couple months. That's Telluride project manager Lance McDonald. The town is developing the Sunnyside Project, as it's called, in collaboration with San Miguel County, which donated the land sitting east of Eider Creek on the north side of the spur. Sunnyside will consist of a mix of rental housing units, a number of three- to four-bedroom townhomes, an apartment building with one- and two-bedroom units, and three tiny homes. The project is also constructed to be net zero. As such, we have a significant amount of solar panels in the roofs. So the architecture and the building forms will be reflective of that function and the forms following the function of being net zero as opposed to picking up on uh, a historic you know, Victorian style of architecture. According to McDonald, the hazard mitigation, which took up the first months of construction, was to construct a rockfall fence. He says the fence looks similar to those seen in East Telluride. The uh, hazards that we had documented on that site were not quite at the same level as some of the sites in East Telluride, but uh, certainly uh, we did have the requirement and the desire to build a, a safe rockfall fence up the hillside above the project. Now construction can move towards the actual buildings. 
McDonald notes they hope to have the buildings closed in with roofs, walls, and windows by the time winter hits. He adds they have seen minor delays due to supply chain issues, but nothing that will push back the completion date of the project. The town plans to finish building Sunnyside by May or June. A process to identify tenants will likely begin within the next several months. It'll likely be a lottery, similar to what occurred at Virginia Placer. But as far as the qualifications and uh, those types of items, those will be decided and recommended upon by the committee probably starting in about four months. At the same time the Sunnyside project goes up, the town is also starting on two other housing projects, the Voodoo Lounge lot and Virginia Placer Phase 2. The Voodoo Lounge site, uh, as directed by the council and the housing committee uh, thus far, conceptually, would be comprised of approximately 25 to 35 housing units uh, six to 7,000 square feet of shell space uh, along the ground floor. That could be a tenant-finished commercial space or it could be office spaces. We're also going to be retaining the historic shed that's at the northwest corner of the site. Town also has plans to incorporate a new home for the Freebox as part of the Voodoo site. Development of the project will eliminate the skate park that currently sits on the lot, but a new skate park in Town Park will include elements from the Voodoo Park. The Virginia Placer development will sit behind the public works gate on the west end of town. It will be comprised of 8 to 12 units designed as transition housing for employees. That will be for on-call uh, town employees and also for recruitment of town employees. With the Voodoo Lounge site and Virginia Placer still at the beginning phases of design, the Telluride Housing Subcommittee is accepting ideas and feedback on what the units should look like. Our plan is to have a concepts for both projects, architectural concepts, by late October, early November. And so the, the time to input on housing types and those types of things uh, would be now. The next Telluride Housing Subcommittee meeting is scheduled for Thursday, September 2nd at 1 p.m. It takes a village to keep a village clean. The Town of Mountain Village Green Team will host its annual Community Cleanup Day this Saturday, August 21st. Check-in and trash drop-off will be at the Village Pond parking lot. Volunteers should arrive between 9.30 and 10 a.m. to register, grab some coffee and donuts, pick up trash bags, and receive designated areas where they'll clean up trash. Volunteers are encouraged to bring gloves, wear long pants, and comfortable shoes. The cleanup will last until noon. Afterwards, there will be a contest for who collected the most trash, ice cream, and lawn games in Village Pond Plaza. Clean up, clean up, everybody everywhere. Clean up, clean up. Most people living in the Telluride region know the impacts of mining can carry on long after a mine stops running. Those impacts can pose tough problems that need creative solutions. For the second time, the Telluride Venture Network is teaming up with Mountain Studies Institute to put on a boot camp for startups targeting issues in the reclamation, mining, and clean water industries. The program is open to companies addressing all parts of reclamation, water treatment, monitoring, remote sensing and communication, 
and economic cost recovery through secondary products, recovery of metals, and or repurposed byproducts. Up to six companies will have access to high-impact mentoring, strategic coaching, and networking with industry experts and investors. There will be two phases to the boot camp. First, a virtual phase from September 13th to 17th with morning sessions and afternoon networking. Then an in-person phase September 20th to 24th in Telluride, building up to a presentation at the San Juan Mining and Reclamation Conference. More information on the Mining and Water Reclamation Boot Camp, including how to apply, is available at TellurideVentureNetwork.com. Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold has ordered Mesa County to stop using some of its voting equipment after passwords to the machines were allegedly leaked online. Griswold is accusing the Mesa County clerk of letting an outsider improperly gain access to the machines, compromising their security. Griswold spoke to reporters about the ongoing investigation. There is no indication that any other voting system equipment outside of Mesa County is implicated by this incident. Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters, a Republican, is criticizing Griswold and her investigation. Last Tuesday, Peters said she was being, quote, persecuted by the Secretary of State. Griswold says a criminal investigation associated with the election security breach is ongoing. Cottonwood Pass has become a popular, unofficial alternative to long detours around Glenwood Canyon when I-70 is closed. But it's a dangerous, narrow road, and it's taken the recent long-term canyon closure for county, state, and federal governments to pay attention. KDNK's Amy Haddon-Marsh has this report. Full disclosure, I live on Lower Cattle Creek Road, a popular portal to Cottonwood Pass from the west. The entire trip over the pass from the Highway 82 Cattle Creek intersection in Garfield County to Gypsum in Eagle County covers about 26 miles of narrow, windy, sometimes hair-raising road that wasn't meant for heavy two-lane traffic. People don't understand that it comes down to one or one and a half lanes and you, you can create a, a domino effect of uh, traffic jams and potential accidents and things along those lines. So, yeah, it can be very hair-raising, especially if you're not used to it. And even if you're used to it, you'll grip the steering wheel a few times. Eagle County Sheriff James Van Beek met me at the OHV parking lot near the top of Cottonwood Pass on a recent August afternoon. We've quadrupled or e- even tenfold the amount of traffic that's on this road. We're skidding number counts right now compared to what we normally have. but. You know, normally it would be one or two vehicles every five, ten minutes. And, I mean, we're sitting here now and we've probably had 50 vehicles in the last two, three minutes go by us. So it's, it's, it's a large amount of vehicles. During the 2020 Grizzly Creek Fire, which started all of this year's mudslide mess, Eagle County created what Van Beek calls a what-if plan. So then, of course, when we started getting the flooding, that was one of it. As the canyons closed, how do we redirect traffic? How do we keep locals as much as possible giving access to what the necessary things, such as the hospitals and workers living in Roaring Fork Valley coming over to the Eagle Valley and workers in the Eagle Valley going over to Roaring Fork Valley to do business? He added that it was impractical for a variety of reasons to only let locals or commuters through. 
So the team decided to limit the length of vehicles allowed over the pass to 35 feet from axle to axle. But that became overwhelming when the canyon closed on July 29th. We can do this for a short period of time, but we're not designed and we're not set up with manpower uh, to be able to do indefinitely. And so that's where we actually called the state up and said, we need more resources, we need to be able to do more because this is impacting us. So I am Sergeant Kevin Duke out of the Colorado National Guard, 220th MP Company, based out of Denver, Colorado. Sergeant Duke commands a National Guard patrol with traffic control points in both counties along the Cottonwood Pass route, replete with desert-colored Humvees. I've noticed a lot of -of out-of-state traffic, a lot of people that do not know this pass, so they're taking the pass at really high speeds. And due to that, we've had numerous cars go off the road or traffic problems, uh, people almost getting thrown off the road themselves. And I notice we've got State Patrol and Garfield County Sheriff uh, here at the moment. Is that typical? Yes, so as of our third day, we've noticed that having them out here has assisted us with keeping the speeds down because people are flying around these corners, just it's endangering everybody out here. Specialist Ulysses Rodriguez, also from Denver, is part of the patrol. He speaks Spanish, which he told KDNK has been invaluable. It's going good. I feel like uh, I'm not just helping the community. I'm, I'm helping everyone overall. The Latino community, they, they feel really grateful that somebody's here that can communicate because there, there was a few that at certain checkpoints, there's language barriers and they get lost without improper, you know, improper communication. So it's been great leading them down the correct way, turning them around. Some of them missed the town they were supposed to be at. So it's been nothing but good, man. Sergeant Duke added that the National Guard is stationed here until August 22nd. Sheriff Van Beek said Eagle County is already preparing for winter use of the road. They want to kind of improve some of the road to a certain degree that they can try to harden the road, but that's a lot of work in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. Depending on the winter, if it's a more mild winter and so on, they might be able to keep the Cottonwood Pass open longer. Majority of this road, as precarious and and fun it can be to drive... (laughs) (laughs) Um, could probably be maintained and remain open to a certain degree, Uh, except the one place that that becomes extremely dangerous is Blue Hill. On the Eagle County side. And that would be where we'd have to do all the work and everything, throw all our resources at it to try to make it passable. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not always practical. But he added no amount of road prep can keep the snow from closing the pass altogether. And then the fastest and basically the only route will be the northerly route through Steamboat, then Craig, and then coming down through Meeker and then uh, through Rifle again, um, because, of course, Independence Pass will be closed. He said that even if Glenwood Canyon opens on Saturday, it's time for counties, the state, and the federal government to make a better plan for Cottonwood Pass. You know, what can we all do together that's best for the entire community? Because we're affecting... Obviously, Garfield County and Eagle County, but then you also have Picking County. We got Rio Blanco County because it's Sheriff Mazzola that was up there. He's not dealing with closures. He's dealing with there's such a volume of traffic up there that they can barely do anything but traffic. So there's a cause and effect on this one, and it's part of the way the infrastructure is designed. So we need to have a long-term plan because this is going to happen again. Garfield and Eagle County commissioners, staff, and sheriffs joined the State Department of Transportation for a work session on August 10th to discuss a plan. 
but it could take months before anything is worked out. For KDNK News, I'm Amy Haddon Marsh. National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 50 degrees and a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms with areas of smoke. Tuesday should be cloudy with a high in the mid-70s and a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms. And Tuesday night, expect partly cloudy skies with a low around 50 and a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms. Wednesday calls for cloudy skies with a high near 70 and an 80% chance of precipitation. Wednesday night, expect cloudy skies with a low around 50 and a 90% chance of precipitation. This has been the news for Monday, August 16th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206.